0: Sister Mary Madeline, and she entered the congregation of St. Cecilia in 1991. She teaches theology and English at Aquinas College, having studied theology at Franciscan University of Steubenville, and the Pontifical University of St. Thomas Aquinas in Rome. She writes and speaks on spiritual and moral theology especially on the dignity of the human person in Christ. So it's my privilege and honor to ask Sister to come to the podium and speak to us. We have a great tradition in the Dominican Order of beginning our preaching by praying to Our Lady. Uh, So we will keep this lovely tradition, especially on this first Saturday. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. Hail Mary. Full of grace, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou among women, and blessed is the fruit of thy womb, Jesus. Holy Mary, Mother of God, Pray for us sinners, now and at the hour of our day. Amen. Mary, Mother of the Word. us. Mary, Queen of Preachers. Pray for us. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Well, I'm glad I listened to the little divine nudge to come to Sister's Talk first, not only because it was a great gift to hear Sister speak, but also because I think I could tie in what you've already heard more to what I wanted to share with you a bit. And especially to build on the last question that was asked about Lectio Divina, because much of what I will share with you about encountering Christ in in the Gospels rests on the principles of Lectio Divina. So for those of you who haven't had a chance to kind of formally look at this, this approach to praying God's word, and that's what it is. It's an approach to praying God's word, I thought I could give you just a little outline. Um, I had a chance to take an entire class <laughs> on, on Lexio Divina. It was really a gift. Um, and, and it really helped me to understand a little bit about where um, we're called to pray God's Word and what might be the biggest stumbling block for Dominicans. <laughs> so there's a little catch your attention. Lexio Divina comes from the Benedictine tradition, and, and really its first kind of formal formulation is in the writings of Guigo the Carthusian, um, who talked about using the biblical image of a ladder by which we can ascend to God. You know, Saint Benedict writes in his rule about humility as steps that lead us closer and closer. He talks about 12 degrees of humility that lead us closer and closer to the Lord. And so Lexio Divina rests on this premise that there are certain steps um, that you can take in pondering God's word that can h- help you to enter into that word more fully. Now, contemporary writers will sometimes add to the traditional steps, but I'm just going to talk about the four that are the traditional, the classical. Okay? Lexio Divina just means sacred reading, holy reading, divine reading. Okay? And, and so the first The first step, though, is not a step. The first step is actually to remember that all prayer is a relationship with the Lord. So one thing I would say to you about beginning to pray any part of the scriptures is that asking the Holy Spirit to be with you, to enlighten you, to guide you in the process of reading God's word is the way to begin. And why am I saying the way instead of just one of many ways is because it's what Jesus said to do. When you read John's Gospel at the final chapters, you have the Last Supper discourses. What Jesus felt so important to share with his followers that on the night before he died, he shared with them. If you've never just taken the last chapters of John and read the discourses of the Last Supper, it's such a beautiful kind of last will and testament of of Jesus. And in that section, after he uses the image of the true vine, He's speaking to, the, to his disciples, really foreshadowing the suffering they'll have to undergo for being his. But he's saying something that he says a lot in the scripture, which is he's telling them, I'm going away from you. I mean, he, he's, he's got to leave his bodily, concrete, physical existence with them in the way that they've been accustomed to knowing him. But I'm not going to leave, you, forsake you. Okay? And so he says in John 15:26 to27, "When the advocate comes whom I shall send to you from the Father, the spirit of truth who issues from the Father, he will be my witness, and you too will be witnesses, because you have been with me from the outset." All being sent, all being the apostle, all being the preacher, begins with being with the Lord. And as Sister Mary Dominic was pointing out to us so beautifully about the message of the Old Testament, the, the whole of the Old Testament is God's presence with his people, his covenantal love, his desire to enter into relationship with them, his I love you. And that is preeminently fulfilled in the new eternal covenant in Jesus Christ. So if we ever feel that Jesus is not walking with us, that God is not present to us in our journey, well, he assured us that the Spirit is the one who will come after he has returned to the Father to be witness to him so that we can bear witness to Christ. And then later, in John 16, verse 13, he says, But when the Spirit of truth comes, he will lead you to the complete truth since he will not be speaking as from himself, but will only say what he has learned, and he will tell you of the things to come." So really, the privileged teacher of the Word of God is the Spirit of God. So when we begin to pray the the Word, to ask the Spirit to come, to enlighten us, to point out to us what God wants to say to us in that word. This is the beginning of the praying of scripture, right? And and what does that do? It reminds us that this is about a relationship. This is a living word. This is not just an academic project um, that we're undertaking, that we're actually trying to hear God in his word. So calling on the Spirit, first and foremost, was what I already had intended to talk about. And then when we look at the four steps of traditional Lexio Divina, they, they flow from that dynamic of listening and speaking with the Lord. So the first of the four traditional steps is what's called Lexio, which simply is reading, reading. We all know that in our age and our culture, it's become increasingly difficult to read attentively. You cannot read Scripture the way you read the news headlines, the way you read a tweet, the way you read a Facebook post. Our attentiveness to God's Word is the beginning of praying God's Word. And that's why, at the beginning, putting ourselves in the prayerful posture of calling upon the Holy Spirit will enable us to encounter God in His Word. So reading slowly, carefully, carefully repeatedly. It's better in Lectio Divina, most of the spiritual masters who teach it, to take a short passage of scripture, very short. We don't need long. The beautiful gift sister gave us today of a word from the Old Testament, at least my passage was very short. And that's helpful because as we go through Lectio, the goal is not just to come to kind of an intellectual grasping, that's part of it, but also to enter into a conversation with God at a depth Sometimes it takes no more than a few words, a word, for us to really begin to pray, really pray. So Lexi was simply that that prayerful, attentive reading. But then what happens as we read God's word is it engages our, our, our mind, our thoughts, our background, our studies. This is a beautiful way our Dominican study feeds our prayer is in the stage of the second step, meditatio, obviously the root of the word meditation. So, lexio to meditatio. Meditatio is that engagement of our minds, our hearts, with the word. Whatever you've studied about God's word, the footnotes you read, (laughs) your understanding of it, but it doesn't have to be just academic in the formal sense. How is is your mind engaging the word? As you read, what is coming to your mind, your heart, your thoughts? now, this I mentioned a particular Dominican stumbling block. <laughs> the gift of study is absolutely inestimable, but where we can get kind of, I think, obstacle in our, have an obstacle in our, in our praying God's word is to stay only in our own reflection about it. Okay? It's true that what we've read, prayed, studied, will form, shape our attentiveness to God's word, but there is a There is a a dynamic of prayer that we have to become receptive and not just active. Uh, There's an old book by Father Benedict Groeschel, um, who I think is a saint. (laughs) And Father Benedict Groeschel, in a book called Listening at Prayer, talks about something quite psychological, but I think it's very simple and I think it can shed light for us. He's using old psychological terminology, but we can get it easily, I think. He talks about the difference between alpha brain activity and beta brain activity. We've all heard like the type A personality versus the type B, right? And so the A, the alpha, is that very active, constructing, thinking, analyzing kind of side of our minds, which I think as Dominicans, we we foster a certain kind of active approach to, to understanding God. But he says, if you're going to pray, you have to learn how to enter into what he calls beta activity of the mind, which is that receptive, receiving part of our minds. And it's not as if it's mutually exclusive, right? (laughs) I mean, from our active, kind of pondering God's word, we have to allow God to speak. Um, And so it's interesting that what happens in the traditional fourfold Lectio Divina is that the next step after meditatio, engaging of our thoughts, our our intellects, is what's called oratio, oratio, which in English is typically translated as prayer, where we move from just thinking about God's word to actually speaking to the Lord and listening to the Lord regarding his word. And some of the authors that I've read in in describing Lexo Divina say, what happens in Oratio is God's word to us becomes our word back to him. And really, the Psalms are the quintessential example of this. <laughs> what what, what uh, Father Elabaydi will speak about in the Psalms, I think, will go with this. This idea that when we pray God's word... It forms the word of our own hearts back to him, but that we actually hear it as dialogue, as this is what God is speaking to me. It's not just a word on a page, a word I'm thinking about, a word I'm reflecting on. It's God speaking to me and me speaking back to him. I mean, we know Jesus prayed the Psalms because he was an observant Jew, okay? So he would have prayed the Psalms, the prophetic books, the wisdom literature to some extent. And so when he's on the cross and he's literally praying to his father, citing the Psalms, it's, it's the beautiful example of this. If we pray God's word enough, and this is something we do, right? As pr- we daily immerse ourselves in the word by praying the divine office, what happens then in your day, as things are happening, as, as life is unfolding, God's Word to you becomes your Word back to Him. You find yourself just aligned from the Psalms, aligned from the Gospel, just kind of becomes part of your way of thinking and being. This is really the fruit of a prayerful approach to God's Word. And then, from our ratio, the fourth of the steps is contemplatio, contemplation. contemplation. And it is true that in the Dominican tradition and in, say, for example, the Carmelite tradition, there's a bit of a different understanding of this term. Um, in the Dominican tradition, it's really any pondering of God's word. There is, in the Carmelite mystical tradition, a bit of a, a, bit of a more emphasis on the receptivity of a kind of wordless exchange of love with God. Okay? And I think either way, the, the, the idea of Lexia Divina that came out of the, the tradition was that eventually the dialogue becomes a bit silenced in the simple awareness of God's loving presence to you. Okay. And, and we understand this from human relationships. You know, when we first meet a person, there's an exchange um, of many words, of many experiences. And if we walk long enough in a, in a path of love, We come to a place where we can be together with others, and it does not require a lot of words, and in fact may require none, for us to simply enjoy the presence of the beloved. And I think always the analogies from our natural human loves can shed some light, right, on when we've grown so much in our walk with the Lord that He just touches us with the beauty of His presence. And by the way, you don't need to go all steps to come to any one of them. The whole purpose of techniques, of of methods of prayer, is to help us to achieve something that can be achieved without them. I hope every one of us has just looked at the starry sky, looked at the mountains, looked at the face of a child, walked through a garden, and the contemplative touch of God was there, right? We had those moments where we just could be still and know that He is God. So, one of the things all the great spiritual masters and saints say is, if God skips the steps, don't worry about it. (laughs) You know, don't feel so, you have, methods are never meant in prayer, never, to bind us into a structure. They're meant to free us so that we can experience the touch of God in our minds and hearts. Um, So... To the extent that's helpful, that's a little... Now, in a lot of contemporary writers, they say one more thing about Lectio Divina. Um, Because this is coming out of a monastic structure, it it usually stops there, but many modern writers will say, well, from that, there should be some kind of a formulation of a resolution, right? Um, Or some kind of an action plan. But I think we have to be careful not to say that the goal of praying is that, therefore, I'm going to come away with my little plan. I mean, the goal of any loving conversation is being with the Beloved, right? (laughs) But it is true that the more time we spend in the presence of the Beloved, the more we are transformed from within. And it may be that in that inner transformation of being more with the Lord, He shows us particular aspects of our moral life, particular aspects of apostolate that need our attention. But really, time with the Lord is time with the Lord. And I think it's, it's good to make sure that we're, we're not um, so task-oriented. I think these are the pitfalls of not only can be a pitfall of the life of study that's promoted by the Dominican Order, but also of being American. <laughs> I had the gift of living overseas for eight years in two other countries, and I think we are great at getting things done, <laughs> but we're not so good maybe at letting it be done unto us according to his word. All right. Um, and some of our stress and anxiety, even in the spiritual life, <laughs> comes from this trying so hard to do <laughs> that we're not letting it be done. So Our Lady is a great teacher of how to ponder these things in our heart. Now, that being said, I think specifically encountering Jesus in the Gospels is a privileged place of pondering God's Word because Jesus is the Word made flesh. And if we want to always keep before us the reality that this word is not just a concept, (laughs) this word is someone, someone who is living and loving us and drawing us into relationship, one of the very special ways to do this is to really um, put special emphasis in our life of prayer on the Gospels. And I'm going to just recommend within the Gospels a certain kind of emphasis on looking at the places where Jesus meets people along the way. I do believe there's a special kind of grace in pondering the way Jesus meets people and finding in those encounters our own encounter with the Lord. Um, So just a kind of contextual word for that, the, the ideal context of praying God's word is in the presence of the Eucharist. So many of us have access to adoration chapels, and certainly you can just spend the time in adoration just speaking, but often we need a little bit of a springboard into the time we have in adoration. There is no better way to um, enter into a time of Eucharistic adoration than through God's word. Because the word made flesh and the word in the scripture are the same word speaking to us and in us. Um, so on the front, I gave you a little handout there that on the first side just has very short one verse meditations from scripture about the reality of God's gift to us and his abiding presence with us in the Eucharist. And I simply present it to you as a, as a context for encountering God's word and God in the Eucharist simultaneously. But I want to focus a little bit more because it was the topic I, I um, had to present on the reverse side of the of the sheet. On the idea that within the Gospels, those encounters between Jesus and the people he met along the way can be very fruitful for a very simple way of meeting God in pondering the word. Often I'm asked to give retreat talks, and inevitably I center them on one of these encounters, because... When Christ was walking among us historically and he met the people that he met, these people are very like ourselves. You know, when we study Genesis and we look at humanity in the beginning, we get a great image of who are we as God designed us. (laughs) When we ponder the saints and Our Lady especially, we get a great image of who are we meant to be. But most of us maybe feel a little bit more along the way like Peter, Mary Magdalene. The woman at the well, Nicodemus, Thomas. You know, while we are in via, while we're in pilgrimage, while we're on the way, we're, we're, we're in the already and the not yet, right? The, the kingdom is within, but it's not yet fully part of our lives. And we're always trying to grow. And that's why I think that taking a couple of these just encounters between Jesus and people he met along the way can really interface with our lives. And I have never found that there is a single person who does not find their own journey with the Lord in pondering those encounters. So what I try to do in a very simple way, it's only a suggestion, is take a couple of those encounters and model a couple of questions that if you were approaching the Lord in Lectio Divina, pondering his word, you might go to these passages and what are a couple of the things that might emerge as the questions for you from, from pondering that encounter. So I've given you on the reverse side of the handout I gave just a couple examples, and there the passages are, so if you wanted to use one of these in your own meditation, you can look for them. Just to kind of walk you through how simple this is. You know. So having called upon the Holy Spirit, we could prayerfully enter into the reading of a text, and during that stage of meditatio where we're letting the word interact with our own human thoughts? What might occur? My first example is the encounter between Jesus and the woman at the well. If one is pondering John 4, which is one of the longer um, dialogues between Jesus and someone, a kind of question question that might arise from that. Where do you meet Jesus? Because I think in our busy day-to-day lives, The first goal of praying is simply to do it. And it can be anywhere, but the commitment to a time, a place, is rather important. You know, we we all put in our planners, or whether that's written, whether that's online, appointments with people that we are, we have a commitment to them. We want to spend time. And I tell you, if you haven't committed to a daily time that is really just, you just are with the Lord, It's a great way to start, right? And it doesn't have to be long. It's not about length of time. It's about entering into the relationship with the Lord. And so, where is the well where you're going to meet him? Is it doing dishes? (laughs) Is it walking the dog? I mean, it's interesting that it doesn't have to be as formal as we think. (laughs) But there is a certain commitment. And even a question that's quite interior, what makes you think he doesn't talk to you? Very often I meet people who say, oh, people will say, I heard the Lord say this, or I was inspired to do this. And they say, the Lord doesn't talk to me that way. Well, he does speak. So what is it that makes us think he's not speaking to us? Like that woman who thought she wasn't worthy of a conversation with him. What are the roadblocks? What are the predispositions? Another question that goes a little bit deeper. What do you really thirst for? What do you really thirst for? What do you desire Catherine of Siena loved to ask people, what do you desire? Your desires show you how your longing for the Lord is present or is not. And do you believe that Jesus can be the one who can fill your thirst? Because much of our dialogue with the Lord is about deepening our faith, hope, and charity. Thomas Aquinas put the whole of the moral life in the context of God's gifts to us. <laughs> it's not a self-perfection program. <laughs> God is gifting us, he's leading us. And faith, hope, and charity are the context of prayer. So we have to believe, not just in the things we read, but believe in the God who wants to speak to us. Lord, I believe, help my unbelief. We have to hope that whatever darkness we walk through, whatever difficulties, tiredness, worry, fatigue, God is faithful to his promises. He promises to be with us. He promises to speak to us. And our hope is part of our praying in God's word. And then it's all about the love. It's all about the fact that he's leading us to know him so that we may love him, that we may know that we are loved. So these dialogues between Jesus and these various people he meets are really about this openness. Do we believe he is speaking to us? Do we trust that he is faithful to his promises? we enter into that dialogue of love. I'm going to skip to the last example because you can read these kind of, for, they're just examples. Your own questions might be very different but I think I find it helps people if you just give them a little springboard into a particular part of the Bible. I want to look at the last example here which is just Peter's conversation with Jesus in the Gospel of Matthew. Jesus in that dialogue with Peter is saying to his disciples a question that actually is one we should come to again and again in our prayer. Jesus asks, who do people say that I am? And ultimately he asks the apostles, who do you say that I am? This is a really beautiful thing to do in our prayer and we return to it. Who do you say that God is? Who is God? The scriptures are abounding with images God gives us of his love for us, analogies and metaphors of his love. But who is God to you? Who has he revealed himself to be in your life? This is part of your prayer life is to to make acts of faith in the God who has revealed himself to you through your life. But there's a very important second part of this question, which is saying to Jesus, who do you say that I am? St. Catherine of Siena insists that part of the life of the Spirit is self-knowledge. It's not entirely self-knowledge, right? Because, but we'll only know ourselves if truly if we know ourselves in the Lord. She talks about the cell of self-knowledge, how we carry within us this place where we come to know ourselves. But she says if you only enter the first chamber of the cell, you'll only know yourself in your weakness, right? Why are we so afraid of silence? Because in the silence, we're confronted with our own limits, our own lack. Okay, But do not be afraid. When you discover your own limits, your own lack, your own weakness, sinfulness, we're never supposed to stop there. And Catherine uses the image of going into the second chamber of the cell, which is knowing yourself in Christ. And that's what I'm inviting you to, I think, in these in these suggested ponderings of the encounters of Jesus and the people he met, because what is he doing? He's teaching these people who they are in his eyes, in God's eyes, in the Father's eyes. This is an incredibly important part of our spiritual journey, to know ourselves in Christ. So if you ask Jesus, who do you say that I am, the answer is going to be completely different than what the world tells us what our own fears and insecurities tell us. Because it's gonna bring us back to what Sister was saying to us this morning. It's going to bring us back to our true identity, the beloved of God, and in Christ, the beloved sons and daughters of a Father who loves us unconditionally, of a Savior who came into this world to draw us back to the house of the Father. No matter how lonely, confused, abandoned we ever feel on the journey, We have an origin from a father who loves us and a destiny to dwell in his house forever. And it is all possible, not of of our own strength, which is but weakness, but in the redemptive grace of Jesus Christ. And who will lead us to this truth? The Spirit of God. Which is why we couch this conversation in our calling upon the Holy Spirit. So... That's just a little appetizer, a little invitation. Uh, hopefully a little, um, a few thoughts that can invite you to take time to enter into God's Word and let Him speak to you who you are, who He is, and, and enter that dialogue of, of love that is God's Word. We have a couple minutes for me to take a couple questions, if there are any, before we're the wonderful time of Eucharistic Exposition here. Um, that will enable you, I hope, being fed by, let's just share with you, fed by this little sketch, but most importantly by what God wants to speak within you to just encounter the Lord who loves you. So any questions that arose from what I shared that you want to ask in the couple minutes we have? Okay, thank you for the question. The question was about spiritual dryness or aridity and that kind of what in Ignatian prayer you talk about desolation consolation there are a lot of different terms for it but it's the same thing. <laughs> I think one thing I would that comes to me to say is we have to trust that the God who loves us and is drawing us to himself will be with us even when the journey takes many different stages <laughs> and um, It is just every spiritual writer says it, and it's definitely a biblical principle (laughs) that the journey involves both the Mount Tabor moments and the really dark valley experiences. Um, Now, the first thing I'd say, though, is desolation or dryness in prayer can be at the very natural level. (laughs) It's interesting in the spiritual life to begin with the the, the natural, right? Because sometimes we're just tired. Sometimes we're just burdened. I think we live a pace of life, many of us, that's just crazy. <laughs> and so if the, you, sh, you can always begin with, am I just at the natural level of the, the creature God made me, getting enough rest, enough balance? Am I working always or am I having times of just... A few minutes of something other than work. So I just say that because sometimes on the very practical, we need to be taking care of ourselves a little better. It's one of those pitfalls of the spiritual life that sometimes we think it's better to live like angels than like humans, but God made us humans. Aquinas insisted on the natural gifts of humanity and that grace perfects the natural, right? So just start with your rest, your balance of life, Time that's not just task-oriented and work as a sign that there might be something that needs addressing and desolation. But when the Lord leads you to a genuine place where the spiritual life is genuinely desolate, even though everything's fine on the natural, or at least seeming there, where we don't hear and see and experience God in the same way, it is always an invitation to, to walk in faith. Because it is just true that in, in the beginning of any love relationship, there is a lot of emotional um, gift. <laughs> we know this, when someone is new in our lives, when we're, in the, when we're new in a love, there's a lot of um, consolation that comes from our, from our emotions. And that same is true with the Lord. <laughs> um, but as, as we walk in faith, we pass through certain deserts. I mean, it's a principle right out of the scriptures themselves. I love it in the book of Hosea. I will lead you to the desert to speak to your heart. And what happens in the desert is a kind of purification, right? Sometimes we seek the consolations of God more than the God of consolations. And so if, if we're really, everything on the natural level is at least balanced, um, we are faithful to prayer, but we're still not sensing God, it's all the more crucial that we make those acts of faith, that we say, I know you're with me, and even when I don't feel you, and I trust that you're, you're with me in this desert. God has promised he will not abandon you. God is abiding love. And to walk in that darkness of faith and to say, Lord, I surrender this to you, and when, and when the Mount Tabor moment's going to come again, okay, <laughs> but, but also... Remember God's faithfulness to you in the moments when you did feel his presence. You know, Catherine of says, God gave us the gift of memory so that we can remember his fidelity to us in the past to trust in him in the present. And why did Christ take his disciples up, well, Peter, James, and John up Tabor and let them see his glory? Not because they were going to stay there. Remember, Peter wanted to stay there. <laughs> Let's build three tents. But No. They had to not only go back down to minister to God's people, they had to go back down to walk the way of the cross with the Lord. I mean, that, that moment of Tabor came before the moment of the Passion, right? And the Lord knows there is a great suffering we have to endure as part of the sacrificial nature of love. Right? Um, it's not suffering unto suffering. It's suffering unto the unleashing of love that is newness of life. Okay? But that is the Paschal Mystery. So, I think when we're in the moments of desolation, look at, am I on the natural level well? Am I being faithful to prayer? Never give up your fidelity to prayer. When he is silent, as St. Therese uses the image, let him sleep in the boat. (laughs) He's asleep on the cushion, let him sleep. But say, I know you're here. I trust in you. You know, if for your own strengthening, you need to, in your memory, to revisit the Tabor moments, revisit the Tabor moments. trust in him present even in those dry moments, remain faithful to prayer, and he will bring you back to Tabor and or to Calvary, but always to the empty tomb. Always. Do I need to stop now, or should I, do I have one minute for another question? I'll take one more question, because I think as long as we stop after one more. question <laughs> thank you for your question because I think it's an important one why are we so hesitant to believe this truth of ourselves as the beloved sons and daughters woundedness okay? we bear within ourselves the original wound right of our parents distrust I mean really what was the first sin distrusting God's plan and God's love okay? and there is one who wants to make us distrust the Lord and he is tempting us so there is a wound from our nature there is the temptation of the evil one who wants us more than anything to not trust God. Reread the temptation scene right in Genesis. It's he twists God's promises of goodness and makes them distrust God. The disobedience is rooted in the distrust. So there is an evil one who wants to draw us away, but also there's our human woundedness. You know, it is true that God's love is mediated to us through our life experiences, right? Through the people around us. This is why, we, you know, those of us who are walking with the Lord, we can be a great help to others to trust the Lord, but also our deep wounds have come out of a lifetime of living amongst other broken people like ourselves. There's a great imperfection, right? In ourselves, in the world around us. But this is the news of great hope. By his wounds, by his wounds we are healed. When St. Thomas Aquinas writes about the theology of grace, he says grace elevates and heals. You know, we we often think of the elevation, like the idea that grace makes us capable of living in a communion with God. But in order to do that, in order to elevate us, it has to sanare, to to heal us, okay? God's abiding grace, especially mediated to us through our life of prayer and sacraments, okay? This healing is the healing of our wounds, and it's the healing of our minds and our hearts. So our being is healed through God. And so what I was saying about the, the, the where do we receive who we are, the world around us tells us many, many falsehoods about who we are. And the, and the wounds within us echo those lies, right? And the tempter wants us to believe that. So we have to be immersed in God's word, We have to spend time with him. We have to receive the sacraments if we're going to know the truth. Because there's a bombardment of the untruth, right? And it's got lots to get its hooks into. (laughs) Okay? So what do we need? The time with the Lord, the word of God, the awareness of his love for us, to listen to him and to really make acts of faith in his love for us. I love that you said, oh, people think it's a bit arrogant if I talk about myself as the beloved daughter. No way, <laughs> it's not arrogant, it's the truth. You know, what, what a dear friend of mine who is a priest said to me, you have to claim and proclaim the truth of who you are in the Lord. It is not arrogant. You are the beloved of God. This is the truth he came into the world to, to proclaim to us. This is the truth he revealed to us before he even came into the world. And and that truth is where we find ourselves in reality. And and, and when we know how we are loved, then we are able to be instruments of that love for others. Now, it doesn't have to be perfect. (laughs) He'll let us mediate the love of God to others even in our brokenness. But we do need to be more and more convinced of the reality of who we are. And so sacramental reconciliation, the Eucharist, The Word of God, privileged places to hear the truth. Thank you so much for your time and attention. Thank you so much, Sister Dada. It's really given us a lot to think about and especially to pray about.